This morning we are in number three of this series called Justified. The title of the message is called Christ Our Champion. Say that with me. Christ Our Champion. How many of you have ever seen the, the TV show American Ninja Warrior? I love that show. I, I'm on that platform. I, I, I'm up that wall. I'm out of my seat. I mean, uh, you know, you're going, yeah, you fat boy, what are you talking about? Yeah, I, hey, fat boys can have dreams too, you know. So um, <laughs> I'm watching them do those swings and the loops and the climbing those walls, and I'm sitting there with them and just, just really loving it. And you know what I love about the show is the fact that the crowd cheers for everybody. And the crowd is all about, come on, you can go further than you think you can. You can make it past what you think your limits are. Maybe your body's screaming at you or maybe your soul is just exhausted or you're worn out or you're burnt out. And so this morning, I would just like to think, if you would, that we are the crowd at American Ninja Warrior and we're here to cheer each other on. And we're here, first of all, to celebrate the one who hung on this, this symbol 2,000 years ago. And the fact that that's a finished work, that there's not work that we have to do yet to earn our salvation, but it's a free gift because he already paid the price. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Christ is our champion. He's made it over every obstacle. He's scaled the wall. He hit the buzzer. And he said, it is finished. And because it's finished and he did it in crazy amount of time, he beat the records, um, he is our champion. The, the reformers referred to him as Christus Victor. Victor. He is Christ the champion, Christ our victor. He is victorious. Uh, this morning you'll see that from the passage that we're going to be looking at. There's a card in your seat. If you would please take that out. I'm challenging every week to take a moment and write out the message text for the day, for today. And we'll get to that in just a moment because that's our memory verse. We started out on our series text, which is Galatians 3.11. And I gave you the very simplified one line from the King James that says, the just shall live by faith. Now let's get all of that in the whole context in the NLT. If you're looking this morning and you wonder where, where are you getting the just shall live by faith, uh, then you will be able to see that it's this line right here. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. So the just, that's the righteous person, shall live by faith. Okay, the just shall live by faith. Let's get the whole thing together. Let's read together. Say it out loud. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Paul is quoting the Old Testament scriptures while he's writing the letters that are going to become the recognized New Testament scriptures. For the scriptures say, he's quoting the Old Testament prophet of Habakkuk, where it says the just shall live by faith. He quotes it again in Romans 1.17. He quotes it here in Galatians 3.11. And if he's the writer of Hebrews, nobody really is certain, but he also quotes it in, in the book of Hebrews as well. So the just shall live by faith. The title of the series is called Justified. The message this morning is Christ our champion. This, the message text, the one that I want you to write on your card today, is from this chapter because we're in Galatians chapter 3. And it says this, find a screen and read with me please. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing 
for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. There he is again quoting the Old Testament scriptures. This is found in the book of Deuteronomy 27-26, I believe. Deuteronomy, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. Okay, so the idea that I want you to see is that, that we'll be basically rounding third base and coming on home at the end of the message today is that Christ has reversed the curse. Everybody say, reverse the curse. Now, that's something that Jesus has done. It's past tense. But Christ has, past tense, rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. So take this moment right now as we're looking at this passage of Scripture and write this out. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When did He do it? When He was hung on the cross. I love these next four words. Say it with me. He took upon Himself. Isn't that great? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. How did he do it? He took it upon himself. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. He became a curse for us. Now the praise team didn't know the title of the message or what I was preaching today, but they did a beautiful job picking uh, the, that second song, or actually both, all of them. You know, we're, we're no longer slaves to fear. That doesn't mean you won't ever be afraid again in your life, but it means you don't have to be a slave to it. As a matter of fact, folks, you know, they look at people that are courageous and they think, wow, that person is fearless, and that's absolutely not the truth. The, 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 the prophet of God, John Wayne, said it this way. <laughs> Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's staring at the face and saddling up anyway. Look at your neighbor and say, be courageous. So we're not, we're not slaves to fear. We, we do not have to be bound by that any longer. And people are afraid of all kinds of things. They're all new kinds of phobias being discovered every day, being declared, making them syndromes and conditions, okay, taking a pill for those. And I'm telling you that in Jesus, we're not slaves to fear. Somebody say amen. So he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the Scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So Jesus hung on the tree of the cross of Calvary, and he became the curse for us, and in doing so, he reversed the curse. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Jesus, help us. Father, we thank you today that in the midst of our weakness, that your strength is made complete and perfect. Lord, we acknowledge that it's not us. Lord, help us if we're still caught in the idea of thinking it's all about us, because it's not. Lord, I acknowledge that, and I thank you that you're the vine and we're the branches, and we just we stay connected. We, we abide, we remain. The Bible says, apart from you, we can do nothing. But God, I thank you today that I'm not apart from you, that I'm connected. I'm, 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 I'm bound, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. I, I, I am now been grafted in, literally, Born again now by the Holy Spirit, bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. The Holy Spirit resides and dwells on the inside of us. Thank you that we're children of God. We didn't, we didn't uh, do anything to make that happen. God, you planted the germ of life in our souls and you caused us to be born again. Thank you now that we can just get up and grow up and begin to recognize the family that we've been born into and the the, the amazing privilege of what it means to be called sons and daughters of the living God. I love you with all of my heart. Be in my words. Be in our hearing. 
be in our understanding, be present in all of those things. Lord, we will be present in our worship of all that you're worthy to receive in glory and honor. We're careful to pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said, Amen. <clears throat> things had been just rolling along for centuries that had given way to millennia. Everything was established, patterns of life, traditions, behaviors, expectations of what it means to be faithful Jews. Until about 4 BC when a little baby was born to a virgin by the name of Mary and to a guy who stepped up to, who manned up to take this little 15-year-old pregnant girl under his wing. He loved her. The angel of the Lord had appeared and said, this thing is of God. And about 4 BC in Bethlehem of Judea, a baby was born. He grew up rather quietly until he was baptized in the river Jordan by his cousin John the Baptist one day. And all of a sudden, the cousin who knew he was special knew how distinctly special he was when he saw him walking up the dusty road on the path to the Jordan River and he saw him in a light he'd never seen him before, and he's preaching in the wilderness, and John the Baptist looks at his cousin Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was a revelation that he'd never had before that moment. And this Lamb of God in that moment was just a young carpenter, having grown up in the carpenter shop of his earthly father Joseph. He began to go into the synagogues and open the scrolls. Luke 4 records one day when he took out the scroll of Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news of the gospel to the poor, opening of sight to the blind, setting free of the captives, healing of the broken, the bruised, the blind, the beggar. There was good news for every one of those dejected, rejected people groups of Israelite society. Jesus came to the down and out and he came in the midst of a lot of religious confusion and fog and he was preaching a message so clear that fishermen could understand him. He was preaching a message that was so powerful that farmers, agricultural people who made their trade by raising living things, shepherds and herders, goat keepers, those that were just eking out a day-to-day -day living in Modern, not modern day that day, in, in 2,000 years ago, old Israel. It was underneath the, the strong arm of what was known as the Roman Empire. And God knew that. He sovereignly arranged the time in history that this young Jewish preacher boy would be born. The Romans were advancing their rule throughout the whole known empire around the Mediterranean basin, and they were beginning to build roads. And so... People were becoming gradually more mobile. Jesus shows up in Nazareth and appears along the shores of the Galilee and he's challenging everything in the religious mindset of his day. The common people, the ordinary people are just eating it up. They're loving it because he's real. He's just telling things like it is. He's not real religious, certainly in the pharisaical sense, but he's real and he's got power to back it up. He can look at a man with a withered hand and say, stretch your hand out. And his hand gets healed. And all the religious folk get all tore up because it's the Sabbath. 
not rejoicing that Jesus just healed a man with a withered hand who'd been crippled most of his life, but they're torn up because they think that one of the, one of the rules of their law has been broken, and it was so hard for them to change. It was so hard because... They loved Jesus as long as He was a prophecy, but when He showed up in flesh and blood, when the word that they'd longed for for centuries that had become millennia, the seed is coming, the seed is coming, Mashiach is on His way. Well, when He showed up, they didn't like it because He didn't come the way they expected Him to. How many times do we get offended at the Lord because we pray prayers a certain way and God answers them, but He didn't didn't answer them the way we think that He ought to? Or maybe he doesn't show up in our timing. And they get offended like religious people do. Get hung up on just the biggest bunch of nonsense. Not realizing that everything that all of those symbolic ceremonial washings and certain way of wearing clothes and different kinds of cleansings to go into the temple and all these sacrifices that have to be slayed and blood that's spilled, all of that was, was not, it didn't, didn't make them any more holy than they ever were in the eyes of God. God wasn't making that an eternal requirement. All of that was supposed to be a giant panoramic picture of one who was to come and literally would become all of those things. It's not about the blood of a bull or a goat or a lamb, but it's the picture of a a final lamb that will come and a once-for-all sacrifice will take away the sins of the world. And they didn't have the eyes to see it when he showed up. Change is hard. Change is hard for all of us. We get so comfortable in our ways and we we live a certain way for a period of time and we're we're used to doing things the way we do them and, 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 and Lord, help you if you upset my apple cart and make things inconvenient for me. And I just want to confess to you my sin. I just want to tell you that the older I get, the harder it is. The older I get. And and, and I've always been kind of a a person. um, I believe that real Bible leadership is sanctified rebellion. Because if you're going to be a leader and you're going to stick your head above the crowd or you're going to be the fish that swims against the current and the tide and swim upstream when everybody else is swimming down, it means you've got to have the God-guided guts and have a little bit of sanctified rebellion against the culture or the way everything is going with the flow and you have to be willing to change. You don't just give in later, but if you're going to be a leader in the kingdom, you have to be a change agent. That means you're an early adopter. You're not one of the late late ones who finally, finally come around. Help me, Holy Ghost. I'm, I, if you knew what Dennis the Menace was doing up here, I've got, I've got to edit anyhow. I was driving down Judge Smith Drive two weeks ago. I was in my Jeep. And I've been a resident of Marion, Arkansas now for 22 years. Almost 20, 21 years. It'll be 22 in May of 2018 because we moved into our house May the 10th, 1996. And the reason I know that, not that you care, but the reason I know that is because that's the same day I graduated with one of my degrees from A State. We signed papers on the new house on Geelan, and I went to Jonesboro and walked and got uh, the second degree. And uh, so 20, almost 22 years I've been driving around Marion. I know where everything is. I know where everybody lives. Wave the hand, you know, the people that are around town. I mean, it's just like the little brother that sits outside at Walgreens. Everybody knows. Is his name Freddie? Is that who it is? Donnie? Yeah, thank you. See, I know his face. I just don't know his name. Oh, thank you, Donnie. Yeah. Sweet brother. Okay. I'm driving down Judge Smith, and before I know it, I've run a stop sign that showed up there at LP Man. 
and I look in my rearview mirror and I go, where'd that come from? I've lived here 22 years, bless God. That stop sign had never been there. And I'm a little bit put off about it. And so I go on about my way, and two or three days later, I'm coming down Judge Smith the other way, and except this time I'm in Dawn's car. And this time, I'm just rolling along. I got Smoking Norfolk playing, and he's doing some old school gospel. And I got, I'm in my groove zone, and I'm just tooting along through there, making sure I'm not speeding. So I'm doing 25, but I'm just having a good old time, and I'm just singing. And I ran the red light. The little lady squeals her tires because she's about to pull out. My heart's beating faster, and I pull over, and it scared me because I'm going to tell you, I don't, my record is like pristine. I have no tickets. I have no wrecks. My insurance is cheaper than it's been in 30 years right now. And you know, I know why old people slow down because they don't want to pay high in premiums anymore. I finally got all my kids off my insurance and they're paying, they paying their own bills now. Glory to God. Man. I'm in this stage of my life and I actually have a couple of nickels right now that I can rub together. And I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I don't have any tickets on my record and I don't have any wrecks and I'd like to have a wreck at Judge Smith and LP Man. And I pulled over in this sweet, precious black lady rose down the window and I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I came through here three days ago and ran it and I forgot. It's, you know when you do something so long you get familiar and you just get in the, gro- you get in the groove and you forget about it and changing is hard. And you know what? She was so sweet and I said, ma'am, please forgive me. I'm sorry. She says, I know. I don't. She, you, better, you, better, you better pay attention because they put these new stop signs up all over. I don't know what they're doing down there at city council. Who are these people that are making all these decisions? They didn't ask us. I said, no, ma'am, they didn't, did they? I sat there, and she pulled away, and I said, thank you, Jesus, that I didn't wreck this car. Because I'm, I'm just trying to ride out the lease and then give it back to them. And uh, I was angry. I had a moment where I was just ticked. And I looked back, and I, I pulled into the road again. And I turned my music off that day. I don't remember what I was playing that day. But I turned my music off and I was just aggravated. I said, what, what in the world? What is this all about? And I was just angry. Just driving and talking to myself. How many of you ever do that? Y'all, y'all don't do that? You know, nowadays I can get away with it because everybody knows you've got a Bluetooth device and you might be talking to somebody on the phone. You know, it was in the 90s where I was crossing the bridge and people were going, what is he doing over there? <laughs> and so I'm just angry. And the whole, the little bitty, still small voice of the Holy Spirit said, "Be careful now. You're acting like those people at your church are about this new seating thing you're talking about doing." <laughs> and I got home, and I, I pulled into my driveway, and I turned the car off, and I said, "Father, I ask you to forgive me for my attitude in Jesus' name." Marion is growing. Traffic patterns are changing. They want to protect the city. They want to protect people. They didn't ask me. But they're the government. And so I need to obey the law. Say amen. All right, let's look at the word this morning. 
Let's get our one thing quickly. One thing, read it out loud with me. Faith in Christ begins the journey. Faith in Christ continues growth. Faith in Christ's finished work will carry us to the end. Faith from start to finish. What is the primary focus and the object of that whole paragraph right there? What is it? Everybody say faith. All right, point number one, sola fide. A Latin phrase is one of the watchwords of the Reformation, of the Protestant Reformation. There were several of them that were distinctives that were proclaimed and declared throughout this period, which was the shot heard around the world religiously that changed things dramatically for history. Because of Martin Luther, seeds were planted for democratic governments where where we as the people could challenge the authority of tyrants, where no one any longer had absolute authority and had the ability to say, my word is law. When Martin stood up and moved the pulpit from the side to the center of their German meetings, he took the Bible unchained from the pulpit, had it printed on Gutenberg's press in the German vernacular, in the German street language, started teaching the people how to read, quit preaching the messages in Latin which the people didn't understand and started preaching in German. Then salvation began to spread rampantly and the Reformation went alongside revival because people who were dead spiritually now had come alive in Christ because they heard the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ is right now King and Lord and by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you can have salvation. It is a free gift. We are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you ask any number of religious people even today, various denominational persuasions, do you believe in justification by faith? They'll all nod their head in agreement and say yes, amen. But when you put the little word alone behind faith, it draws a line of demarcation. Justification by faith alone. Because so many groups don't believe it's faith alone. They believe it's faith plus something. Faith plus circumcision in the Old Covenant. Faith plus water baptism in a couple of our churches in America. I believe that it, baptism is important. I just don't believe you have to get wet to get saved. I believe when you get wet, you've already been saved. I believe in water baptism and we will immerse you if you want to be baptized at Victory Church because it's a symbol, Romans 6, of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You go in and bury the old self, the old man, and you come out resurrected to a new life in Christ. But the, but the water doesn't save you. It is not, this is kind of a $10 word, but it is not salvific. Water does not save you. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that saves you. The water cleans you and marks you as a saved person, which you already are. Come on, somebody. Or in the Bible Belt South, it is faith in Christ plus you dress a certain way. Don't let your hair grow long as men. Don't cut your hair as women. Don't wear makeup if you came from my legalistic background in the United Pentecostal Church. And so it's faith plus all of these other rules. It's faith plus these do's and this list of don'ts. You don't go there and you don't do this and you do that. And all of these things that are a set of requirements. It's not Mosaic law, but it's still law every bit. And it's legalism, which is a system which says that I can gain God's favor by keeping a set of rules or ideas that men have told me that pleases God. And really the Bible is faith plus nothing. 
It's faith alone. Sola fide. We, we think of when I fly solo, I'm flying alone. Sola fide. Fide from fidelis. What is the Marine Corps slogan? Semper, always fidelis. Faithful, fide, fidelis, fidelity. So the, you shorten fidelis, faithful to fide, faith. Okay, so when we, when we recognize that I'm justified by faith alone in Christ alone, then I'm realizing that it's not anything that I do to earn or deserve or I'm not like a Boy Scout or a Cub Scout. I'm not trying to do something to get a merit badge in order to please God with my merit. God, let me into heaven. I deserve it. I'm that good, Lord. No, it's the recognition that apart from Him, I'm worthless, I'm nothing. But now in Him, He saw me so valuable that He allowed Himself to be hung on a wooden cross and died and took my place. Somebody say amen. Look at the passage of Scripture with me, please. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, let's just get ourselves in the middle of this letter. You know, he's writing a letter, and they're going to stand up in church and read this. What if you, if you were a first-time guest, and you sat down in this service this morning, and I started the service by saying, y'all are a bunch of fools. What did he just say? Come on. See, it's like you read the Bible, and it just kind of, all of this gets past you. Because you don't just let it wash, I mean, it just sort of just washes on by. You don't just, you don't stop and think about it and, and let it marinate. Let, let it really get down there. Oh, you bunch of fools, he says. Oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> if I did that, I guarantee you, it would be like my Aunt Lucille. We used to go try a new restaurant, and if she didn't like it, she'd say, well, I've been here twice today. You know what that means? Ever heard that before? We all knew what she was coming because she got older and knew she would repeat herself, and she'd say, well, I've been here twice today, and everybody in the group would go, we know your first and your last time. And it became a part of our family vernacular. We'd, we'd look at each other and go, well, I've been twice. <laughs> Come on, all you got that stuff. You, you got the little funny stuff. I love being around other families and picking up on all that stuff because that's stuff that's kind of your initiated private language that you know. That's your story, okay? And, and, and so the whole point is I want all of us as a church, our family story, our words are going to be make room. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, there he brought it in again. He keeps weaving that in. Look at your neighbor and say, make room. Yeah, we want to make room for what God's going to send us because if we do that in faith of what he will send, guess what? He will send them to us. Man, oh, you bunch of foolish Galatians, who's cast an evil spell on you? The King James says, who's bewitched you? How many remember that show growing up? Digga, digga, dig. No. Who's cast an evil spell on you? What's come over you? You're like in a fog. What's, what's the matter with you guys? He says, For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you'd seen a picture of His death on the cross. We've put it up in front of you in such an amazing way. What has obscured your view from a clear understanding of this cross, which is a line drawn in the sand. It is a clear demarcation of ending all of those old ceremonial expectations of a law that none of you have ever been able to keep. Verse 2, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Why? Well, the Bible says faith comes by what? And hearing by the Word of God. 
Verse 3, and he, you know, he's going to come in and sing the verse the second time. How foolish can you be? It's like the Secretary of State calling the President a moron. Come on, don't be a moron. <laughs> I wish I hadn't even said that. I'm sorry. So I, we refuse to get political around here. The whole thing is just, uh, it, it's a pageant. It's a, sh it's a show. Help me, Jesus. Okay, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You know, there are plenty of churches you can join that will do this for you. You come in by faith, but once you're in the door, here's your list of our expectations. You better do, 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 don't, 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 do, 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 don't, don't, don't. How many of you know what I'm talking about? better look a certain way, you better act a certain way, you better vote a certain way, you better think like us, becomes group speak, no room for any kind of, you know, different ideas. God help us as believers that are supposed to be educated in the Word of God that we don't have enough grace and generosity in our spirit that we can sit down with another brother who different or has a different perspective philosophically or politically or God help us theologically than we do and realize that we might actually learn something if we just shut up long enough. Like my daddy used to say, son, you've got one mouth in two years and you're using one of those too, too many times. Twice as much as this. Hush, daddy would say. How foolish can you be? You started your new lives by the Spirit. Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? In other words, you don't come in by faith and then work your way through the rest of it. It's by faith in the beginning. What was our one thing? Let me scroll back. Faith in Christ begins the journey. Faith in Christ continues our growth. Faith in Christ's finished work will carry us to the end. Faith from start to finish. Say that last line. Faith from start to finish. I love this. Verse 4. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Another translation says, have you suffered so much for nothing? Really? Is this the conclusion you've come to? What has obscured the cross in your understanding? You know, that's the reason we don't always have one out all the time because whatever we see all the time, we get familiar with it. Our victory road signs don't stay out all week long because when you drive by something every day, you get to where you don't even look at it. So they come down Monday through Friday, they go back up Friday afternoon, and then it pops up, and on your way home down 77 or down Broadway or down Missouri, all of a sudden you see a sign, and you look at it, and you go, Victory Church, that's that church at the mall. And, and the, the city loves it because they're never in anybody's way when they cut grass or mow the, mow the yards or anything like that at all. And we've got this thing going that it, people never get familiar with it, so they see it pop up, and, and we'll tell people, don't keep doing it the same place every week. Do it that place for a month or two, and then change places. Put it in a different spot because when you see it in a new spot, it's like it gets your attention. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You don't even hear the hum your refrigerator makes in your kitchen. Why? Because you hear it all the time. That's why we don't have one up here all the time because you get familiar with it. And when we bring it out, it's special. I mean, because after all, if Madonna can hang five inches from her ears, big crosses, and it, it's just become, it's become irrelevant, it's become meaningless. Everybody in America is a Christian. It's what they think because they love baseball and they eat apple pie and they, in the way we used to say in the 1980s, they drive a Chevy, so we're American. Ugh, American made, praise God. And that was great until all the American products started falling apart. I, all right, I shouldn't have gone there. I'm sorry. Let me leave it alone. Verse 5, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? 
Of course not. He keeps asking them these obvious questions that are evidently not so obvious because they've been living all of these things. And he says, wake up, don't be fools. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. It's faith in the start, faith in the middle, faith in the end. He says, in the same way Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his obedience to the law? No, because of his what? Say it. His faith. Verse 7, and I, and I want you to see this. This is almost a little dig here to all the Judaizers. He says, the real children of Abraham. Y'all get that? The real children of Abraham then are those who put their what? Faith in God. So you can keep all the law you want to. You can call yourself a, a Jew, a faithful Israelite. But I'm telling you right now, my brother, unless you exercise faith in God alone, you, you're not even part of what it means to be the real children of Abraham. That's really going to come out in the second section of Galatians chapter 3, which we'll preach next week. Verse 8, what's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long before, long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. That's in Genesis 12, 3, 18, 18, and 22, 18. God said over and over, I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And now the way that happens is not through a natural seed of Israel, but through the one seed of Christ. Abraham's greater son has blessed the whole world through that one individual, through Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Now, notice this. I love this. Don't miss it. Don't miss the forest for the trees here. It says God proclaimed this good news. The King James says God preached the gospel to Abraham. Don't miss the simplicity of that. What we're proclaiming to you here this morning in this message is not God's plan B because plan A did not work with Israel and it failed and so God had to come in and kind of bring the church in as a plan B. No, God only has one plan from the, from the foundation of the world, the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began and you are a part of that as the, the body of Christ which now is made up of Jew and Gentile Bond and free, black and white, red and yellow, pink and purple and blue and everything in between. All a part of the body. That is everybody who has trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and put their faith in Him. Come on somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. So now I recognize this. Abraham is not just a cool story out of the Old Covenant. He's just not an Old Testament saint. But now Abraham is my brother in Christ. I want you to see a timeline from left to right up here and the cross is the very middle of it and all of the Old Testament saints are longing in faith and looking forward to Yeshua HaMashiach who is yet to come. So by faith they're receiving salvation. They, they, they weren't saved by keeping the law. Okay. Now as New Testament saints, we're over here on this side, they look forward to a future demonstration of a Messiah who would come. We look back 2,000 years ago to one who already came and because of an established fact, He has come. He took upon Himself. He rescued us. Everything we say about Jesus is all past tense. It's already been done. He's already won the victory and won it for you. Put your hands together and praise. They look forward in faith. We look backward in faith to something that's already happened because the, cro the cross of Jesus is the central hinge point and turning point of human history. If you understand what I just said, say amen. 
Verse 9, so all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. I love that. Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Everybody say, from start to finish by faith. Say that. Now put it all together. From start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, there He is again, writing the new, quoting the old. For as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The just shall live by faith. He was quoting Habakkuk in the Old Covenant. He wrote it in Romans. He wrote it in Galatians. He wrote it in Hebrews. It is like a chorus of a song that repeats over and over. The just shall live by faith. Point number two, quickly. So what's wrong with the law? Is the law our problem? Really? Really? Because if the law is the problem, then God messed this whole thing up because God's the one who gave us the law. I want you to look at this, verse 10 of Galatians 3. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under His curse. For the Scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. That's a quotation from Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. Verse 11, so it is clear. Here it is your series text from this whole nine weeks right here. We read it every week. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law, for the scriptures say it is through faith that a person, a righteous person has life. Verse 12, we're going to contrast two roads, two ways, two paths. This way of faith is very different from the Way of law. What did Jesus come and say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So we've got to come through Jesus. He's the only way. There are not multiple ways to heaven. Buddha is not an alternative. Muhammad is not an alternative. Hare Krishna is not an alternative. Dianetics and Ron Hubbard in the Church of Scientology is not an alternative. That's not even Christian. Don't kid, don't kid yourself. Nothing biblical about any of that nonsense. We need to recognize that there is one way. His name is Jesus. Somebody say amen. No man comes to the Father but by me, he said. He says, the way of faith is very different from the way of law in which it says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. That's the way of the law. The way of faith is different. Nothing wrong with the law because Paul wrote in Romans 7 that the law of God is holy and it's right and it's good. King James says the law is spiritual. Problem is me. The law is perfect. The law is the written, codified representation of God's goodness and His holiness and His nature. He is righteous. He's a holy God. So the law is good. It's holy. It's spiritual. The law is not the problem. Romans 7, the Apostle Paul says, Who shall rescue me from this wretched state that I'm in because I I do things I know I shouldn't and I don't do things that I know I should and, and I'm in this tremendous vexed place that I'm in and who will rescue me from this place of affliction? This, this flesh that I wrestle, he says. And you know what? It, it, just, it just vexes me sometimes when I hear preachers preach that passage and they don't turn the page to the next chapter because Paul answers that question in Romans 8. Thank God he didn't stop and end the book of Romans in Romans 7 because there would be no hope. 
You don't have to live in a life of duality. You don't have to live in a place of confusion. You don't have to live in a place of being vexed with a, with a habit or a sin that is recurring and you never can get victory over. Grace is not something that just gives you the, the, the permission to stay in your sin. Grace is the power to vic- get victory and deliverance over your sin. You don't have to keep doing whatever it is that you're doing. You can be set free. You can be delivered. You can, you can be, as we sang this morning, I'm a child of God and you split the sea so I could walk right through it. Yeah. Hallelujah. Are y'all hearing anything I'm saying this morning? Help me, Holy Ghost. And it's crazy how we, we grow up in one kind of tradition. We grow up and, and instead of on the road with Jesus, we're in a ditch on either side of it. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a legalistic church the way I did. And, 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 and you know, if the, your hair touched your collar, boys, you were going to hell. And you better not, you better not have any facial hair because you're going to hell. And you better not ever say a four-letter word because if you don't confess your sin right then and you die, you're going to hell. And it's just a whole caricature of the gospel you know what a caricature is it's like a cartoon where one feature is stretched bless Barack's heart you know when they when they when they do a caricature of President Obama what is gets what what gets stretched out of place well how many of you seen it bless his heart his ears how many of you know Bill remember Bill Clinton remember what gets stretched with Bill his chin and his nose a caricature is when we get a view of something but we have something of it stretched out of proportion And some of us grew up in a particular view of the gospel and it was a caricature. It wasn't the real gospel. It was was a representation to us and it made us look at God a certain way. And some of us grew up all the time thinking that that God was angry with us. You always live walking around over your shoulder wondering if God's going to put a thunderbolt in the seat of your pants or something. Or you're standing on the brow of heaven with a bazooka ready to bust your butt. Waiting for you to miss it so he can catch you in it. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Honest to God, some of those people's God is more like Freddy Krueger than he is the Jesus that I know. Man, I'm preaching. This wasn't in the first message this morning. Some people grew up in church where God is more like a Greek mythological Zeus that's just this angry, fire-breathing, belching, just demonically angry kind of God. And how many of you know when Jesus showed up, he said, the Father and me are one, and he showed us what God is like. I'm going to turn around here and preach to this wall and these light bulbs here in a minute. Man, that's better than y'all are acting in this room this morning. Hallelujah. How you see God affects the way you live. And I'm going to tell you, your God is not mad at you. Jesus took all of that mess and died a bloody death on a cross 2,000 years ago to show you how much He loved you. And He stretched His hands out. And that's, that's not a... That's not a violent God who's trying to bust you every time you make a mistake. God, help us when religion puts that kind of nonsense in our heads. i got to settle down. My heart is fluttering. I'm more angry right now at that mess than I was when I ran that stop sign last week. I'm not kidding. Sola fide, faith alone. 
Final point. Are you still alive? Don't die on the operating table. Hang on. I'm stitching you up right now. Don't die right now. Come on. Solus Christus. Well, our pastor speaks Latin. How do you think about that? <laughs> okay. Uh, cast out Dennis the Menace in Jesus' name. Everybody say Christ alone. Solas Christos, Christ alone. Look at this, two verses and I'm finished. Say with me, two verses and I'm finished. But Christ, read the verse, but Christ has rescued us from the what? Oh, I love it. From the curse pronounced, look at your neighbor and say, he reversed the curse. My, my, my. The curse came in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's simple commandment. Everything here is yours. Enjoy all of you want. But there's one thing I'm going to keep for myself. Leave it alone. It is that tree in the middle of the garden. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was no magical fruit hanging on the tree. The first bite in the juice of some mythological apple running down their chin is not what brought sin. It was simple disobedience. It's mom and dad say, son, do whatever you want to. Drive the car, but don't cross that bridge. You stay in town. And what do you do? It's human nature. Honey, I've baked a batch of cookies, but don't touch them until the rest of the family gets home, until your daddy gets home, until, until your sister gets home. And guess what you do? You... The law pronounces a curse when we break one little jot or tittle. What did James say? He said, you think you're doing good because you keep this part of the law? You know, that's what happens when we become legalists. We get selective. And we think we're really doing good because, you know, I hadn't killed anybody this week. I've thought about it a time or two. <laughs> hey, I'm just confessing my sin. I'm being real about mine, okay? Thank God I'm not judged because I had a stray thought. Look at your neighbor and say, he's telling the truth up in here. Come on, everybody in the room has thoughts you have to wrestle down. Let's get real. You know, it's just if you keep entertaining it. Being mad enough to kill somebody, having the thought. Now I'm just making an illustration here. Don't take this to the extreme, okay? Don't go out here and say what I didn't say. But having a moment and being angry doesn't make you a murderer. But yet Jesus said when you get the Spirit of God in your heart, you got to wrestle that thing down because that's the root that will produce the fruit later if you keep thinking like that. Okay? So roots and fruits, thought, word, and deed, it all becomes a progression. But basically he says, you know what? I, I can go through the list of ten this week and, and haven't, haven't broken any of them in deed. Haven't broken any of them in word. But I don't know that I can honestly say that I haven't broken them in thought somewhere or another where I've had to wrestle down a passing thought. How many of you know you can't help what crosses your mind? My granddaddy used to say, and I quoted it for years, thinking he was so wise and it was original, but I found out later he was quoting Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, you can't help it if a bird flies over your head, but you can certainly keep him from building a nest in your hair. Are you hearing me? So thoughts cross our minds, and we have to, what does 2 Corinthians 10.5 say? casting down imaginations and bringing every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ. An attractive woman walks past me and maybe she's not dressed as modestly as she needs to and I have a thought. 
I can't believe our pastor just said that in the pulpit. Honey, I'm a man. And I say, nope, turn my head, turn the channel. Think another thought. Okay? I didn't have this in the first message either. I got to finish. Okay, here we go. <laughs> what I was trying to show you is, is you, can, you can keep all of it in, th- in deed but, and keep it even in word, but may not, you hadn't kept it in thought. So, so you've broken some of the law. So we're under a curse. If you're earning your way in by keeping it, then you ain't got a chance because nobody can except for Jesus. He's the only one. All right, when he was hung on the cross, say it with me, he took upon himself. Stop right there. He became the curse for us. He reversed it. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Last verse and I'm finished. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same, everybody say the same blessing, the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that, in order that, why? He told us what. We've got the same blessing. How? Through faith. Why? So that... We who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit. Same thing that got poured out on the day of Pentecost. Come on, Ben, uh, Ray, whoever's playing behind me this morning. Let's, let's, let's land this plane. Okay, put your, put your seat belts on. Put your trays in the upright position. We're about to land. Okay, are you ready? You don't have a junior Holy Ghost today. You don't have a little bit of what they had the whole piece. The same Holy Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit who comes into your heart and your life when you say, Jesus, save me. And I believe His his coming in is one time. But I believe I regularly need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I get filled when I open the Word and I listen. I get filled when I worship when I, even when I don't feel like it. I get filled when I hang around other brothers and sisters and I'm encouraged. My faith is inspired when I hear what the Lord's doing in their lives. That's why we need each other. We need to, we need to have that whole spirit of make room in this church. That should be our watchword. Make room. Make room for what God's doing in your life. Make room for what God is bringing in with others. Make room for faith to grow and trust God. Hallelujah. Everybody say, make room. So the same Holy Spirit now is yours because you trust in faith. Jesus has reversed the curse. That means right now, it's not just faith on the front end to be justified, but it's faith now when you're in lack because when you put your faith in Him, He'll show up as your provider. It's not just faith to get out of hell and go to heaven, but now it's faith when you're sick and He'll show up and be your healer. It's not just faith to know that you've got a home in glory in the sweet by and by on the front end of this thing and now you have to work it all out. But it's faith in the beginning, faith from the start, faith through the middle, and faith to the end. It's faith from faith to faith because the just shall live by faith. It's not just an eternal home in glory with Him, but it's eternal life, quality of life right now by faith alone in Christ alone. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer.